Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And our topic for today is identifying and enabling the skills of the future. So we know as leaders in different organizations, the employees would need to learn new skills to stay relevant and our business to stay profitable in the future and even today for that matter. But then when we are currently looking at the skill set, in many companies, we find that organizations may not have an exact up-to-date inventory of the skills their workforce has. And then in many cases, we are not that sure what is required in the near term or uh, midterm or long-term for that matter. And then there is usually a scrambling match when we have a project or an initiative, and when we are politically close to getting it started down to the wire, then there is a scrambling match that happens and we look for agencies or figure out other way to somehow fill that gap. Not the prettiest of situations. So given there is even more uncertainty, there is even more innovation and disruption almost required for an organization to stay in existence how are business and IT leaders collaborating to ensure that we are having the right type of investment made in the strategic long-term capability, yet also making sure that the people who are working on today's efforts, they are working with the best of their skills and experience, and it's a best match. To discuss this in detail, we have Ruth Thorpe. CIO from Endo International. Hey, Ruth, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Ruth, let's start with the fact, or rather, let me use this phrase, workforce capability. The reason I use this is because a lot of people call people as resources, and the person who needs to work on it needs to bring both the quality and the quantity of effort and talent required to get things done. It rarely is ever measured in form of a workforce capability with the sophisticated metric, et cetera. With that already being in case, and you have to shift your capability in terms of this workforce based on the shifting business models, how do you shift the fuzzy? That's a great question. Um, And I wish I had a crystal ball to give me the perfect answer, but I can tell you a little bit about what we're doing at Indo and some of my experiences uh, over my career. This this is not a new challenge, I think, in any business, but it is a challenge that continues to offer us lots of uh, opportunities. And the, the big thing that I see happening now is there's a gap. Uh, the, the gap between the traditional business role and IT role is shrinking. Uh, shrinking very quickly, in fact, as technology advancements continue. If you think about um, artificial intelligence or machine learning, those things are potentially drastically changing the way we resource in the future. 
So we've at Endo and in my prior organizations have traditionally sourced roles primarily through direct employees or contractors. You mentioned projects and things of that nature. Um, with the introduction of machine learning and AI, we've actually started to think about how we can lean into that capability. So our future talent pool might also include machines. And in order to be successful in that model, we have to rethink the roles that we have in the organization. So where do we have pockets of um, work product being done at a transactional or a task base? And could we potentially centralize or pull those things to leverage better the, the capabilities of a machine? Does that make sense? Absolutely. But then we also would want to see the nature of work that exists today. Even the traditional HR models that were created were created for, say, an industrial age of sorts, where things were predictable, you'd come every day, you will do things in the same way. As we started using technology and the technology itself starts morphing and then the business models and the customer expectations and the way the workers want to work changing, they started changing. Now we no longer have that mold in which you can fit a person, truly. When that is happening, how, what kind of a construct will work for us to be able to get a handle on where we are today? And even if a person is given this so-called stencil or, or a job description is given the stencil that this is what we need, within weeks or within months, people are pivoting, like businesses are pivoting. So what would you do in that case? These are knowledge workers. These people have a different trigger point than a person who makes widgets. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that is certainly a challenge. Um, and it requires a lot of flexibility, which can be difficult, um, as you rightly point out, to sustain. In our particular case, we're looking at different um, practices, like communities of practice or fusion teams, which over time take away the construct of a traditional job and it's more uh, outcome-based. So you could think of it also as a product team. So moving away from traditional job description roles, which are very finite to something which is more flexible and flexes to the work at hand at the present moment. People do what you inspect, but they also do uh, you know, inspect. So that means you've got to measure their work and also set expectations. Many times there are implied expectations from the management or an immediate manager that you will step up, you will show innovation, you might be able to learn some things on the fly. And then you do a performance appraisal of the person. And when you try to point out things that what you expected then there could be a conflict and that could demoralize, demoralize uh, an individual who might in their own way may have given their 110%. So you look at a person outside in, you might find a flaw or a gap, or you might work on them uh, to make sure a business outcome is met. But then the kind of work that we're expecting, the kind of outcomes that we are expecting from each individual or even collectively, that requires for them to also feel from within that there is something 
they are growing or there is some intrinsic motivation. And I'm talking about areas which are neither measured or they are not kept in perspective to the degree we need to. What do you do about yeah. that? Well, I, I mean, I think you're getting to the root of engagement, number one, and uh, commitment. And, you know, there there are a lot of um, considerations in all of that. But I think in our, in our case, what we really rely on is clearly setting objectives at the onset of the year, both for the traditional work or, or the expectations uh, of the role, but also for projects or outcomes, business outcomes that the individual is working on. And then I, I think really importantly is to provide a mechanism for feedback from the team. So it's not just an individual man manager perspective, but one which encompasses the others that that individual is collaborating with towards those outcomes. So I think in those scenarios where you have a good practice in place to not only directly observe and provide feedback, but capture feedback and input from others that you can have a very good conversation with an individual about what they're doing well and what they have an opportunity to improve on. But certainly that is definitely a challenge. We cannot, you know, strive for, perfect. I mean, we should strive for perfection, but I do not think so. Or at least most of us will agree that cannot, we cannot reach perfection because we are dealing with humans. And we are dealing with situations which are what may be happening with that individual at home, with their family and at work. Now, with that said, there has to be some holy grail, some benchmark, some standard which an organization should put in place, which will be used as a yardstick for us to see whether we are going well with a department, with a group, with a team, with an individual with respect to what you expected. So if if, if I heard you say it, you set that expectation on an annual basis, or even if you did something on a quarterly basis, if, if whatever that, that time horizon is, what is the foundational elements of that basis, if you will? What all are you setting expectation on? What are those parameters? Well, I mean, it all comes down to the responsibilities of the role. So the objective should be set against the position uh, first and foremost, and and while they are in our particular organization, we do um, set them at the beginning of the year. They are revisited quarterly, um, and or as a project or a new initiative is is uh, raised, and that individual becomes part of that. So, without without good communication between a leader and their people, um, you know, nothing is going to go perfectly, as you say, but I think it's really through that dialogue and creating that trust and providing real-time feedback that you have a good conversation with an individual, not only about what they're doing well, as I said, but areas of opportunity and also areas of potential growth in the future. So it, it really all comes down to forget, forget the, the templates for the objective setting and all of those things. Those are words on a paper and they're a good outline for a conversation. But if you don't have a manager who is willing to be involved, to be honest, to be uh, very timely, um, and you don't have an individual who's receptive to receiving that type of feedback, you're going to have a problem. So simply said, you're saying put a broad enough framework so that they have some playroom. It should have certain guidelines about how the people will operate at least and what some other disciplinary 
things that we have to put in place, but then assign someone who is a manager alongside that individual who takes a joint responsibility along with that individual to make sure that they maximize their potential every day. And if there is any tweak to be done to what they do on a given day or for a given project, then they collaboratively take ownership about that. Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. In fact, I think that's as close to perfection as we can get in the business world. Okay, so let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And let's talk about skills of the future, because that's part of the topic, which is identifying and enabling the skills of the future. So we did speak about, you know, the core elements of how a human performs and how do you work with them. And thanks so much, Ruth, for giving us that framework. Now let's talk about what we can expect for these skills to become in the future. We don't have a crystal ball. And if you had to outline something which we would need in the future, yes, you would have some sort of uh, business blueprint, which would become the basis of your skill mix blueprint. But to what degree can we rely on that future blueprint of the business? Because even that could change for us to start developing skills. So to that end, where we do not have total certainty, what approaches have been tried which work on identifying, let's start only with the identification of the skills of the future. And whatever has been tried, what worked and what did not work. Please set your listeners, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Ruth, we're talking about predicting or rather identifying the skills of the future, which depends on the business model or business ways of working, which all also can change in the future. So when you take this whole skill identification element for the future, what all have you tried? So you have a little more confidence and clarity in that regard. Yeah, great, great. Thanks for the question. Um, you know, we certainly don't have a crystal ball to predict the future, but we do try as best as we can to think about the skills that will make us successful. In our particular case, COVID has really added a whole new set of considerations for our business. Quite frankly, it presents opportunities we hadn't even considered in the past when you think about access to remote skill sets in today's hybrid working model. When it comes to adapting skills mix expectations, my personal experience is this is a bit more art than science, unless you're staffing a whole new team or a company from the ground up. Otherwise, you have to make small investments and changes that align to your business strategy, your resource needs, and ones that you hope will pay off over time. 
So one thing that's working really well for us right now is we're assessing all open roles for proximity, which allows us to recruit talent well beyond our geographical footprint. The other thing that we've done is launch a concerted effort to update and modernize our digital people capabilities across the enterprise, because we truly believe that digital dexterity is a key success factor for the future. And that's why we're working on reskilling or upskilling, if you will, through education and hiring and continuing to outskill for capability in areas that are not our core competency or areas where we can't sufficiently staff to fill a need. So where we can take advantage of, for example, I mentioned earlier, AI or machine learning to take uh, task or transactional capabilities out of the organization, as opposed to the more traditional approach of filling a seat. Um, we're certainly at the novice stage here, but we're really excited about the potential opportunity. So uh, to that end, when you are looking at uh, identifying those areas where you could find out the skills and, and you're also looking at uh, the different avenues and you mentioned about AI and machine learning, but think about it. And machine learning, yes, that's something you will eventually end up grappling with and it will go mainstream, but so could be many other things. So would you always play catch up? That would you always be a step behind? Because before we knew it, earlier AI came and ML came and then AR VR came. And while we had heard about those buzzwords, there were many others besides these. Some really became mainstream, others fell for, you know, fell flat on their face. So how would you know among the cool things that are in front of us, which ones should we pursue? How do you rationalize? Really, thing? yeah, I mean, we rationalize based on our ability either to perform that skill and sustain it. Sustainability is a key factor that we consider. In my particular organization at the present time, we are um, not a large organization. So creating a new team to staff a new capability independently is unlikely to be something that we would do um, in our particular strategy. We would more likely partner with a strategic partner to make sure that we had that capability. And as it matures over time, we may think about insourcing that, that skill. Um, so in our particular case, that's how we make sure that we're not falling behind per se in the, in the ability to capture or take advantage of a capability but we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket to try to staff every new capability that comes out. Now, in, in this whole process, when you started doing this and you start, I'm sure it's not being done in Ivory Tower, it's more inclusive with the workers. How much of this exercise is throwing them off, getting them to be concerned that these guys are expecting me to learn the skill of the future, but if I don't show enough propensity or it's, I'm not showing signs that I would be relevant in the future, I might lose my job. How much of that are you dealing? What is, what is the, the, the experience dealing with the people who the very people you're trying to develop and keep? How are they reacting to this exercise? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a mixed, um, a mixed reaction. I mean, I would, uh, I'm just trying to think of a, if I would put a, percentage on it. But, you know, as I think back to my prior experiences, it's not the same um, reaction that I recall from, you know, when we had mainframe programmers moving into more modern uh, program programming technologies. Uh, the work, the current workforce is more flexible. 
than than they were 20 years ago, or at least that's been my experience. But certainly not everyone is interested in learning new capabilities. But I would say by and large, for the most part, there's a lot of excitement. And if anything, in our particular organization, there may there's more frustration about not being able to work on the new cool stuff and being bogged down with some of the, the old keep the lights on activities, if you will, that need to continue. So I would say that's our bigger challenge is to make sure that we're giving everyone an opportunity to work on something new and different as opposed to um, just keep doing the same old, same old. So there could be interest, there could even be excitement about a new or cool technology, but there could be a missing raw talent in that area. Absolutely. How do you differentiate or how do you, so because everyone can come to, I want to do this, right? right. Because it's new, right. it's up for grabs. But then you also identify that this person is better off doing support function versus the innovation function or, or mm -hmm. learn related skills. How do you, how do you prevent killing somebody's motivation and yet get them to find a role or get them to do a role or develop themselves in a role which naturally meets their talent. And who's the judge here? Who is judging that these guys are good or not good for a given future skill? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, um, a great question and, and not an easy one to deal with, particularly if you have an individual who has all of the desire um, but is missing the capability. Um, so in that particular case, you know, what we would lean on is opportunities for an individual to start uh, exploring the capability through a project or uh, a job sharing or rotation experience. And then we would advise, um, monitor that and consider whether or not it makes sense for that individual to continue, but not necessarily kill their desire to get involved. And and my experience is usually when you allow someone to get into that area, it's pretty natural conversation. How's it going? You know, is it going well? Is it not? What's, what's your perception? What's the, the manager's perception? And you can have a much more meaningful conversation as opposed to if you just, you know, flat out shut them down right out of the gate, as you said, someone would be very disenfranchised by that and unlikely to continue perhaps to want to continue working at the company or even uh, continue to perform at a high, at a high level. So when you mentioned job rotation and cross-training, absolutely that makes sense. Now, when we take the context of skill of the future, that means you do not have enough work. So you got to create pilot projects. You got to take them out from the existing pile of work that they have already on their plate. And then you have to create extra funds, some play money for you to see this person working on this pilot project because this might not see the daylight because it's still a, a thing which you will do in future. You're just prototyping of sorts and you don't know what's going to come out of it. With last I heard from technology department or overall business, funds are not easy to come by. So where do you find this sandbox and the play money to do this? Yeah, that I, you're right. Uh, funds are not easy to come by, but in my um, in my experience, personal and professional development comes in many forms, um, and there's nothing more rewarding or lasting than an on-the-job experience. So we really work hard to offer job enrichment opportunities to employees, whether it's project-based or job shadowing or rotation. Um, and typically, where there's a will, there's a way. 
Um, but in most cases, um, the best way to approach this that I have found is we do uh, quarterly talent reviews of our individuals in the IT organization, and we attempt to match their performance and their future growth development experience um, opportunities with what we have coming through the, the, the project portfolio. So we really work hard in the project portfolio to leverage those projects to do a lot of this development activity for other uh, employees. And that's really the way that we've been able to do it effectively. So you're essentially looking at things which are not like uh, something very futuristic in terms of the talent development. Your horizon is not that far out, it seems Correct. like. Because then only you can have a project for that matter to even have somebody dabble in. Correct. Okay. So now, now, now yeah, having ahead. said that, there are also opportunities for innovation, as you well know. I mean, um, you know, and what I have seen is that that innovation comes organically because of individuals working in close proximity with their business colleagues and jointly working to bring those cases forward. So I've also seen a number of really positive outcomes uh, in that regard where it started organically and then grows um, through. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll come back and let's talk about, like we said, rationalization of the different projects or the skills. But let's also look at the rationalization of the, the current crew that you have. And I'm not by any means saying let the people go because they don't fit into the future set. There could be a possibility of retooling. But then you also may have situations where you simply don't have uh, a certain talent pool which would be able to pick up some of the skills of the future, whether from an aptitude standpoint or the very sheer capability standpoint. That means you have to go and attract the right talent. What do you tell to a new person? I'm going to hire you for something we don't do right now. We will bring you in. And if that project comes to fruition, then you will continue to have a job. And if it doesn't, we're not sure. What would you say in that case? Let's explore. Tough question, but it needs to be answered. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Better care for customers and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Ruth, you want the absolute best talent. That talent may not exist in your company. You want to build skills of the future. You may have a few projects, but not enough runway for someone to be sustained for the long haul if that doesn't come to fruition. How do you take that as the basis of building a job description, which you put on a job board and or get your HR or recruiters to find? And what's the story you use to attract the right talent? I thought this was going to be a little bit easier, but you're really giving me some tough questions here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I had a magic bullet for this one. It is, um, it is certainly a difficult one, but 
I, I think first and foremost, honesty is important for the organization and for the individual who may be considering this type of role. But it's certainly an at-risk role um, in this particular scenario that you've laid out. I've but had do you a, think, one quick yeah. question, Ruth. So my question is not hypothetical because you want to create skills of the future. So either we agree as a group or as a business, right? I'm, me means I'm supposed I was in your company, right. that the business agrees that we are not going to look too far out where there's a risk to the role itself. Correct. Or if you're thinking too futuristic, then you get a consulting firm to come versus uh, uh, an employee. So how, what would you, if you had to process this question and deconstruct it and perhaps tackle this because there would be a good output out of this discussion to say, how do I really build my skills of the future where I don't even have the role, but I don't know if I can assure the longevity of the role. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, it all comes down to the commitment, right? If you're making a commitment as an organization to, a particular new endeavor, um, then you'll find a way to make it work. And if that particular first start at it doesn't pan out and the employee is worth keeping, typically what I find is that where there's a will, there's a way and you find another opportunity or avenue for that employee to continue to contribute to. So I think um, you know, at the end of the day, there's typically enough churn in an organization that you have a little bit of float, if you will. If you have a, a hundred person headcount, you typically have a, a, you know, a vacancy rate of 5% or so. You have enough float that it's not a budget issue per se. It's more maximizing the opportunity and the capabilities of that individual. So I think really, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to manage that float. A future fit potential is what you're trying to, almost creating a bench, right? Yes. yes. And when you create that, you got to keep them busy. You got to deliver on your promise when they come in. Mm -hmm. And then you have to retain them. All of that while you're getting some work done. Yep. What would you say would be potential checkpoints along the way? so that you maximize on this gamble slash investment you're making? Well, I mean, obviously always having a business outcome uh, measurement at hand is critical, um, but also checking in with that, that individual, right? Is this, is this what you thought it would be? Do you see areas of opportunity to go in different directions um, would also be an important checkpoint. Um, but, you know, you also have to be honest as an organization, as you said at the outset, you know, maybe you think it's going to go one way and it goes uh, completely down a different road. So continually assessing the skills and the individuals um, and how that is working out is, is going to be key. But in this particular example that you're using, there's no perfect answer um, because even if on the business side, things are working quite well, the individual themselves may not necessarily be finding it fulfilling. So it's, you know, that constant uh, two-way dialogue and keeping that up, that will be the best success factor. And uh, it's certainly a challenging situation, but, um, but one that requires a lot of conversation and, and uh, you know, direct engagement. See, when you look at retaining, attracting, preserving the right talent, they need good, exciting work. Yeah. They need, and the, frankly, the future workforce or even current workforce has started demanding more and more work-life balance. Mm -hmm. They would not burn the midnight oil to please the manager the way you might have seen already. Mm -hmm. When you are dealing with this, 
and plus you have innovation, plus you want to get the required work done, and you also have a limitation of budget, what would you do from a management perspective, from project rationalization and phasing and scheduling perspective, an expectation setting perspective so that these people indeed have some breathing room because you cannot create innovation out of vacuum or somebody totally spent. Yeah, th this is a huge challenge. Um, it, it's a challenge that we face at Endo and I'm sure a challenge that many organizations are facing. In our particular case, we're a mid-sized company. So one of the things that is always concerning to me is not just an individual joining the organization with a new skill set, but what is the next year, two years, three years going to bring for that individual? And do we have opportunity for that person to continue to grow? Now, you mentioned work-life balance and a few other topics. The other thing that I'm seeing is the, the workforce of the current, uh, of the future also expects to constantly have the opportunity to work on the biggest priority across the organization and they expect rewards and promotions and other things on a very um, short time frame so those are all considerations that we take into account before we commit to a full-time employee and typically why we tend to use uh, strategic partners more for futuristic skills at the moment does that make sense Oh, no, absolutely. And, and so I totally see where you are uh, going, but I'm trying to figure out if, if you could allow maybe a management style needs to change or what we expect out of people changes or we fundamentally do an HR transformation about what expectations you set for them mm -hmm. at the very onset at the time when you're hiring or having them change their roles, set such expectation that this is going to require you to work 24 seven yeah. or you say you're going to work 10 hours and don't promise right. eight because then you're disappointing them. Yeah, and when any person is disappointed, the person has no motivation to innovate. Yeah. But is there that much of clarity given, given expect, especially when you want them to innovate and become that type of talent who you can bank on in the future? Is there a, is there an integration or alignment between HR and IT and business and the very fact that these guys are humans when we last checked. Yeah, no, it's a great point and one that we've been grappling with. Um, I actually think one of the positive outcomes of COVID has been a much deeper appreciation for this topic across the, the enterprise uh, at Endo and I'm sure at other companies. Many people, not just IT professionals, are uh, struggling with what work-life balance looks like in the new hybrid working model. And we've done a couple of things and are considering doing a few more. So for example, we implemented a flexible work policy where individuals are asked to work um, online, if you will, in core hours. And then we have other periods where they're given flexibility, right? So maybe they need to pick up a child or they have a doctor's appointment or, or they like to work out in the mornings or the evenings or whatever. Um, we try to give them that flexibility and also, you know, reinforce across the organization that that's the type of work organization we want to be. And having said that, it sounds really good, but when you have a, a critical project on a critical path, it is very difficult to sustain. So I'm not suggesting that it's nirvana, um, but it is a way to set some core hours, work hours, and then offer some flexibility to the workforce to match um, with their personal needs. The other is really 
encouraging and allowing and supporting um, think time. So scheduled on your calendar according to when, you know, when it works best for you. Schedule an hour or two a week for think time so that you're not so engrossed in your day-to-day activities that you don't have an opportunity to think differently or think bigger or explore something new that's of interest. So those are a couple of things we're doing. I know some organizations have gone so far as to have no meeting Fridays or things of that nature. We're certainly talking about uh, whether or not that would make sense for the for the organization. Um, but those are a couple of things that we're at least trying. But it is certainly a challenge and it's very individualized. Everybody has their own work preferences, their own work styles. And when you're um, working in a hybrid mode, we can offer a lot more flexibility, but it still has to meet the needs of the business. Some people want to really say, I want to have a life and I want to work to live. Mm-hmm. And then you got some crazy folks who would say, I want to live to work. Correct. And business, if you were to live it objectively to make money, you would love everyone to be able to live to work, right? <laughs> of course. Right. So where, when we are looking at the future, if you were to design autonomously uh, a company of the future where people would have the right skills and get the right leeway. How would you fundamentally set this foundation? Because it doesn't look like corporates think that way. And it is in direct conflict. And that's why you very clearly mentioned that this is a challenge, Mm -hmm. that they never have breathing room. And we are doing like spot fixes versus homogenizing Mm -hmm. how talent is brought in, how skills are developed, and how work gets done. Mm -hmm. That's what we would like to discuss. So process your thoughts, if you will. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And love to get your thoughts. Just be you. Roots being at the top, building an org Mm -hmm. where all of this was possible. What would be the core fundamentals would you like to put in place? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back better care for customers and improve the corporate bottom line if you want to keep up with it thought leadership listen to ctn cio talk network with sun joke all at ciotalknetwork.com You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Ruth, you being at the top and in control, have the intent and the resources to build an organization where we have all the relevant skills for today and for tomorrow with the people fully motivated and had the breathing room so they can innovate. If you were to come in into an organization or build it from scratch, what all fundamental pillars you'd put in place? Well, um, that is in fact a challenging question. And I, uh, I have appreciated thinking about how I would do that, um, particularly given the new hybrid working model. First and foremost, I, I go back to the fact that clear business outcomes are really critical because that is in fact what you would measure against. So I would obviously want to have that as a foundational building block 
that the business outcomes that are required of that individual are clearly outlined um, for everyone. Having said that, what I think we really could look at from a, a work opportunity perspective is to think more broadly about a globalized team and to think about how you would structure the team so that, for example, your execution team would be follow the sun. So you could have basically a 24 by seven execution arm that could be um, working in parallel with more of your innovators or your thought leaders or your strategists who would be able to have more flexibility in terms of scheduling their time and giving that think time, if you will. And um, I think those things in combination could be very, very powerful in the future. That's a huge change from the way corporate works. And I mean, you're talking about, you know, turning a, a ship, which would not be easy, but I do think that that would be an interesting approach. And what would you do about skills like security, which are tough to come by, they're exorbitantly expensive, and the area which continues to evolve at a warp speed. So nobody's able to really say, oh, I have enough. And then talk about, think about the near or not as near future. What would you do for those things which take time to develop? The very skills that you create become obsolete before you know it. And there will be more and more of such things which would morph at a greater speed because the speed of change is just going crazy. How yeah, would you I'm, handle? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, in fact, I don't think this is actually really a new problem. Um, and you use the example of security, which is a great one because you're right. It is evolving um, incredibly quickly. So in areas of like that, we would look to hire individuals who have growth potential, who are passionate about what they do, because in my experience, those are the individuals that will continue to lean in and learn and grow along with the evolutions that are happening in that particular space. The other thing that I think is really important as an organization is to really be honest about what your, what your core skills are going to be, those skills which you will uh, employ for and what skills you will continue to rely on third parties or expertise for. And, and I think those things, uh, when matched together, really allow you to be flexible and to continue to have the skill set of the future. Now, with all of this said, it takes a different breed of people, I'm assuming, who we would be needing, right, to be able to lead this effort. You have clarity of thinking and a process which you, of course, demonstrated with your responses. But that's not always the case of the mid-managers because as you and I both know, many times people leave or stay because of their managers. And there is sometimes this bigger vision that we have, developing skills of the future, keeping people motivated and be able to figure out what's working, what's not working. That comes from those middle management people. And many of them are, many of the organizations are seeing that how we tackle this mid-management is going to make or break how relevant we stay in the future. So what's your thought? Not the field worker who's supposed to be given a task and the person delivers on that task. What do we do about this mid-management layer, which will allow us to effectively identifying and enabling skills of the future? I think that's a great question. And one of the things that I've always been 
passionate about is the development of a manager. Um, in my experience, typically managers come from individual contributors who excelled at their roles and who are given opportunity to uh, be promoted in the organization by taking on management responsibilities. And that can work well, and that can also um, not work so well. So if, if in fact, we're going to um, continue to rely on middle managers for these types of activities and, and expect them to be successful, I think you must invest in uh, developing their managerial skills. And I, I think personally, I see this at my own company. I've seen it in the past. I think that's where we um, fall down quite a bit. The other thing I've seen is when you have a lot of management churn, you tend to lose sight of your strategy or the execution, the pull through of whatever your strategy was um, can diminish significantly. So it's a really it's a really great point and a, a really big challenge. And I think organizations um, and Indo being one of them really has to continue to invest in managerial uh, training and professional development. Ruth, when you look at you know grooming your managers, would you say you would groom them into become a better manager, or would you find a roadmap for them to become leaders? Because if they become leaders, they would truly get their people who report to them to follow them versus them having to manage them. Well, I mean, I think the the obvious response is you want to have leaders, um, but there is always a need to manage, and so, and you know, in any scenario, a leader, as you said, is a much more powerful tool um, and resource than necessarily a manager. And I think it really fundamentally comes down to matching a business need with an individual's needs and capabilities. So if that individual is people-oriented and gets um, satisfaction out of leading through others, then you typically will have an individual who does well in a leadership role. If that person is more interested in being an individual contributor or does not necessarily enjoy the people management side of the of the equation, then there's going to be a challenge and they tend to manage more than lead. So I think it, it really comes down to making good decisions about who you put in management roles and um, you know, really continuing to develop their professional leadership capabilities. Once again, thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing your insights about how organizations can identify and enable skills of the future. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And listeners, please connect with us on social media. Join uh, our community and listen to our podcast by subscribing to them on all the different syndication channels we exist on. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjo Gall, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.